But welcome back. Welcome back to the Extraordinary Drummer Show. As you know, I'm your host, Sharon Moore. Today, 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 I tell you, boy, we got a cat on the show. Now, I know they're saying dogs now, but in my generation, we said cats. <laughs> we got a cat on the show today. I tell you, what a body of work, what a history, what a body of just knowledge and history this guy has. He made a lot of drummers famous, I will tell you that. And a lot of drummers rich, too. <laughs> And I'm really happy he's on, he's on the show. You all know who he is. You remember him as an artist rep over at Zildjian. He's president over at Viper, which we're going to talk about. Plays with the and played plays and played with the band uh, Theft Auto. Um, of course, he's right now doing the exciting uh, podcast, a modern drummer podcast, uh, live from my room, which we can see his room there. What an awesome room it is. He's a drummer's drummer. And a businessman, businessman, which I've never said that face before. Would you help me welcome <laughs> to the Extraordinary Drummer Show today, John D. Christopher. John. All right. Thank you, Sharon. What a great intro, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'll dive right in. You're from Massachusetts? Yes, I am. Yep. Just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, about 20 miles, little town called Cohasset on the water. Nice little, nice little town. Yeah. Tell me, how did you get acclimated to drums and when did you get your first drum kit? I got my first drum kit. Uh, it'll be 50 years this coming Christmas, 1972. Um, I got actually my birthday is the week before Christmas. So it was my 12th birthday and uh, in Christmas, 1972, 50 years ago. But um, I was born in 1960 and, and uh, I was interested in the drums, you know, as a kid, like everybody, and uh, had the benefit of all those great bands and all that great music from the 60s to influence me, bands like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and um, all the great Motown bands. And and, um, and then, as I said, around the summer of 1972, I got really, you know, the bug sort of really took hold and I really got interested in playing the drums. I bought a pair of sticks and uh, and it just kind of that became it for me you know how'd you get your first kit mom and dad grandparents yeah yep yeah it was a it was a christmas present um combination birthday and christmas present and uh i didn't i didn't have any lessons so i'm self-taught and it was a real sort of gamble that my dad took that that i was gonna you know stick with it and i remember having those conversations and and uh you know, my parents saying, you know, why, you don't know how to play the drums. What are you doing? And, but, you know, I, I'm probably like yourself and a lot of people, there was a, a natural, at least some amount of natural ability there for me to at least understand, you know, playing along to records. And um, I did that for the first kind of year or so. I got in a band, but, you know, after playing about a year and things just took off from there. John. Take me to high school over at Melrose High. What was the scene there? <laughs> there was some great times. Um, yeah, as I said, I got in, into a band in junior high school. And by the time I got into high school, I was, I was in a band that was playing our, all our school dances. And, you know, remember, this is the 19, mid-1970s. So there was a real strong music scene. Um, you know, like there were... There were events that that bands could do like high school dances and and uh you know church functions and things like that so my band worked a lot we were all like 14 15 years old and and um 
but we gigged almost every week. And I did that all through high school and junior high school. John, I know uh, EU Wurlitzer was a very important time in your life. Tell me about it. You had a lot of friends over there, huh? Yeah, that was a that was a huge uh, part of my career, really. I mean, it was a big stepping stone. I I took a year off from after high school. I took a gap year between um, high school and college, and I was all set to go to Berkeley College right here in Boston. Um, and I ended up getting this job at EU Wurlitzer, this music store that's it's gone now, but it, it was located, ironically, around the corner from Berkeley, and. Uh, you know, right in downtown Boston, and things just sort of took off for me there. It was I worked in the drum department. After being there about a year or so, I was promoted to the to the manager of the drum department, and um, you know, I mean, that was I, I met all these incredible people that later became big figures in my life in my in my musical career in terms of uh, you know Armin Zildjian, Lenny Demuzio. Uh, the boss, uh, my boss from my first company in the industry, which was Simmons Drums, uh, this guy named Glenn Thomas came in and, uh, you know, we had the first Simmons Drum Clinic there in 1982 and Glenn and I hit it off. And then a couple of years later, he hired me when I moved out to LA to work for Simmons Drums. And that was the, what sort of got me into the industry. It was an amazing time. One last person who I shouldn't leave out is my late father-in-law, Vic Firth, who uh, I also met when I was working there as, as a, you know, who would have thought years later I'd marry his daughter, Kelly, but um, I'm sure Vic didn't think that. <laughs> Let's talk about DW Drums. How'd you get that job? Well, while, while I was working at Simmons, um, I'd met Don Lombardi, who's the founder of Drum Workshop, DW Drums. And, uh, you know, we'd become friendly just from seeing each other around town, whether it was at a clinic at West LA Music or at a NAMM show. And, and I was, you know, I was living in LA at the time. This would have been, uh, by this time, it was 1986. And one night I got a phone call from Don. He'd gotten my number from someone and basically said, I'm looking to, again, this was before DW drums or anything more than just him and John Good making the drums in the garage. I mean, Don said, I'm looking to really expand the drum business and and uh, get serious about it i need someone who can do artist relations and sales and that's what i've been doing at simmons and he said you know would you be interested in coming up and meeting and talking about it so i i went up and drove up to in those days they were in thousand oaks uh newbury park which wasn't too far from where i was in the valley and i drove up and one night after work and i met with him and he took me around the you know the little shop they had at the time and and uh, I, you know, I liked Don. I, I liked him as a person immediately. He's still one of my best friends. And, and I love the idea of being at the ground level of this American drum company. And so I went to work for him. And that was in November of 1986. And then we introduced, you know, officially launched DW Drums in January of 1987. So. I didn't know you was with them that that early they were known for making seats or something then what that's what, right wow pedals, yeah foot pedals yeah. hi-hats you know <laughs> seats and uh, it was before zildjian so i was i was i worked for don for two and a half years before uh, i went to work for zildjian let's talk about made zildjian it. zildjian made you a rock star over there man <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh 40 years at zildjian almost 40 years uh, not, no, not that long, actually. Um, I, I, 
I worked there from 89 to 2013, so like 24 years, basically. Okay, okay. I, 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 it it felt like 40 years. <laughs> Underwater. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So then over at Zildjian, first tell me, how did you get to, how did you get the job and what was the scene like over there? Over there? Well, it was a similar situation where um, I happened to be at the NAMM show, and this would have been January of 89. Um, I was working for DW. I'd moved back east, which is where I'm from here on the East Coast. I'd moved back at the end of 1988. Don flew me out to the NAMM show in January of 89 to, you know, to work for DW. I spent a week out there at the factory and, you know, at the NAMM show and everything. And um, I was just walking around and I dropped by the Zildjian booth to say hello to some friends that I knew there, like, like you always, like we always do at the NAMM show. And, and, um, a friend of mine named Colin Schofield, who was the marketing person at the time, said, I heard you're, you're, you're back in Boston. And I said, yeah, I moved back a few months ago. And, um, he, you know, would you, and he, long story short, as he said, would you be interested in coming down and meeting with us? We might have a position available. We have a, an opening that we think you'd be interested in or, you know, something along those, those lines we thought you might be interested in. And I was curious and I said, well, what is it? And he, he was a little guarded about it. Didn't want to talk too much about it until I came down there. So I went down and, and, uh, met with him and found out it was artist relations and that Lenny Demuzio, who had, who was the director of artist relations at the time at Zildjian <clears throat> was going to be moving over to education. So this created this opening to, to have someone come in and I had a history or a background, I should say, of, of working in artist relations. So um, yeah, I came down and I, I liked what I saw. I went back for another interview with Armin Zildjian and, um, you know, I mean, it was, a, it was a, a process, Sharon, that took, I want to say my first visit down there was February and I didn't start until May. And there were a couple of months of, of back and forth and, uh, it all worked out fine in the end, but we had to work out the, the, uh, you know, the business side of it. Cause I was, I was in a good situation at DW. And if, if nothing else, this is a good lesson for people watching this, that, you know, if you're going to take a job in the industry, make sure you, you know, you're getting paid what you're worth. And, um, you know, my, my feeling at that time was DW drums are on the rise. I'm starting to make money. This company is going to go somewhere. And they, and they certainly did. Um, and I just felt like, you know, for me to now walk away and take a job with a company um, that I'm not getting, you know, I was getting a commission on the DW drums that I was selling. So to, to leave all that behind, yeah, to leave all that behind, I just wanted to be sure that I wasn't going to hurt myself. You know, I had a, we had a, a two-year-old son and had another child on the way. My daughter was born later that year. So, you know, I was just thinking ahead and and in the end, it all worked out great. As I said, I made the right move going to Zildjian. Um, I, I feel he compensated me well at that time and continued to over the years. So, Let's do some drum technique talk. What do you think of this thing, gospel chops? What do you think of that? Well, I think it's amazing, you know, that the, the, the technique that some of, some of the drummers, like, and I say young drummers, but really all drummers, but like younger drummers are, are so much more advanced than I was at that age. You know what I mean? I, I, I can just, I, I marvel at what, 
some of the younger drummers have in the way of chops. Here's a, here's a question, Stan, with uh, drum techniques. What's the difference between a Zildjian cymbal and a Sabian cymbal? Uh, probably about $10. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> what a move. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm here all week, folks. I'm here all week. Be sure, to, be sure to tip the waitress. Huh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Be sure to tip the waitress. Yeah, you know, got some other questions. I might bounce around really quickly, but sure. Tell me about uh, what's going over, over over at Viper. You having a good time over there? Yeah, you know, I um I started that. I I gosh, I I guess I started doing that about eight years ago. It was a, a little while after I left Zildjian. I. It started with me helping Steve Gadd with some things that he was doing, solo projects he was doing and needing like representation and management. And then Peter Erskine kind of jumped in with me and uh, my friend Rick Murata, who's a well-known studio drummer, and Danny Serafin. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, it was, it was going along pretty well and it's, it's still going, but um, the pandemic a couple of years ago definitely slowed everybody's kind of amount of work. Talk a little bit about, uh, quickly, about that uh, live from my drum room, the Modern Drummer podcast. How did that come about? So, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was, you know, I, I, it's hard to explain it, but I guess I was, like a lot of people, I was looking for something to do. It's just, you know, the thought of, uh, kind of being in lockdown. This would have been in April or May of 2020. Um, I was looking for ways to just stay motivated, keep people motivated, keep things positive. And the idea of doing these things with with people like yourself, you know, drummer friends, entertaining people. I wasn't trying to make money doing it. I just wanted to just keep people feeling positive at a time when it was a you know a pretty tough time for people a lot of people knowing that they weren't going to work for maybe a whole year or at least six months. And um, so it was, you know, it was pretty, it was kind of a, a difficult time for a lot of people. And it's, you know, we're still dealing with it obviously two years later. So it, it started off as kind of a fun little thing that just took off and it started building more and more. And I had more and more people wanting to be involved in it. Um, it was nice to be able to, kind of pick up the phone and call some of my drummer friends and and uh, and know that they had the time to do it whereas the, you know they were just sitting at home where normally it would be hard to track some of these guys down if they're on the road or doing something else you know so so they couldn't they couldn't give me an excuse like I'm too busy it's like oh okay I got nothing else to do um, and then uh, earlier this year I want to say it was around January, February of this year, I was contact, contacted by David Frangioni, who's the um, CEO and publisher of Modern Drummer Magazine, an old friend of mine who was actually a customer at Wurlitzer Music, as you mentioned earlier. He's from Boston. He lives down in, uh, in Florida now, but he owns the magazine. And he said, I, I, he called me one day and he said, um, I want to make your show the Modern Drummer Podcast. I want to, how can we make that happen? And to his credit, he, um, you know, he basically gave me everything I asked for. And, and uh, you know, and I say that and just because I, I had this show that I'd built and it was starting to take off. And he 
he, you know, but he was very genuine and sincere about really wanting to make it work with Modern Drummer. So we're doing this now and it's, it's live from my drum room, Modern Drummer podcast. And, and, uh, it's, I'm having fun. It's going, it's going well. You are back on the drum kit now, huh? Yeah. Whether people like it or not, I'm back on the drum kit. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta remember that one. What'd it feel like? How's oh, your hands? Great. Pretty, you know, not bad. I played the other night. My band played this past uh, Saturday night. I had a felt like I had a pretty good night. Um, you know, I stopped when I met you, which had to be maybe thirty years ago. I'm tr- my, we were trying to figure that out, Kelly and I. Like when when I met you in uh, early '90s, right? Maybe yeah. early to mid '90s. Yeah. So you know, I had stopped playing. Um, for about 20 years, Sharon, I mean, from about that time, the early 90s until I left Zildjian in 90, and sorry, in 2013, you know, I, I had some drums in my office and I'd sort of tap a little bit, but I wasn't really playing drums like, like we play drums, you know what I mean? And so anyway, when I had, now that I had the time, I wasn't going to be traveling. I wasn't going to be sitting in an office all day. I really got back into it. I joined this band, as you mentioned, it's actually called Grand Theft Audio. It's a little play on, on words. We say, you know, we steal music, not cars, but, uh, but it's, you know, it's like, it's a bunch of like cover rock music that we do from our favorite bands, like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and, you know, bands like that. And, um, so, so we play out every week pretty much. And it's a bunch of my old friends from gosh, when we were kids and it's a blast, man, it's, we're having a great time. thing on the show that we call word of advice where i ask the guests i ask the drummers if they will leave a pardon word of advice for the up-and-comer guys or even the guys at the next level but that are trying to get traction in this game would you leave them a word of advice please sure yeah i mean um you know i i get asked this a lot <clears throat> excuse me i'll take a sip of water Sean, because this could be a little bit of a long-winded answer so 
We got about eight minutes. I got two. All right. I'll keep it to seven fifty nine. Uh, <laughs> No, you know, I get asked a lot, and I don't know if this is what you're referring to specifically, but I get asked a lot about endorsements because, you know, as you know, that's what I did for many years, you know, as vice president at Zildjian. And, um, and, and, my, and my advice would be when it comes to, to endorsing instruments, for example, drum company, cymbal company, guitar company, whatever company, play the equipment that you would go into a music store and buy anyway, play the stuff that you love that that's not, um, you know, it's not something you're forcing yourself to have to like or use because you have some sort of a business arrangement with this company. And you and I know as drummers, it's, it's, it seems so obvious and so simple. Um, but I, I, I think for a lot of young guys coming up, like you say, the up and comers, I think there's this idea that, you know, the, the ultimate goal as a drummer is to get all these endorsement deals with companies. Um, and I, and I had this conversation with Tommy Igo not too long ago. Tommy was a guest on my show and he actually really did a great job, um, explaining this and really laying it out. But, um, you know, I, again, unlike when I was coming up and I think you're younger than me, but when you were coming up, we wanted to play great music. We wanted to be in a good band. We wanted to make a living, um, it was it was really all about that stuff. It was about music and and uh, and being the best you could be at at your instrument. And I think I saw this certainly during my time at Zildjian. It became, at least for some amount of people, more about I can measure my success by the deal I can make with a drum company or the deal I can make. I can get a free set of drums from this drum company or I can get some cymbals from this company, you know, and, and they're losing sight of the fact that it all starts with, you know, being proficient on your instrument, being a good guy or gal, um, respecting, uh, the companies that you're involved with, uh, respecting other musicians, other drummers and, and being known in, as a good person. You know, I mean, that's going to get you way further than any of these other things we're talking about. You know, I truly believe that. And I think for us to have to pay for what you just gave would be really expensive. <laughs> a lot of years and a lot of expense. Let me ask wow. you this one. Sure. In, in closing, John, what would you want your legacy to be? To be said, to be told. Wow, man. You get into the deep stuff here, Sharon. This is good. I got to remember this stuff for my show. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'd, I'd want my legacy to be um, somebody that, that was fair and honest and cared about the people that he worked with. Um, you know, I, I, I will say this about myself you know I, I i feel like i always did try to put uh the companies that i work for uh first you know i mean the, the, you know I, I tried to be a good um good soldier for the companies that i work for and as part of that um, i tried to help a lot of drummers along the way and uh, and and really support and nurture careers as best I could when when there was a time in the industry when you could do those kinds of things 
And uh, I mentioned a couple of drummers just a few minutes ago, like Tony Royster and Thomas Pridgen and even Tommy Igo and, uh, you know, people that I, I met when they were coming up that I recognized the talent that they had. And I knew that I, if I, I was in a position to help them, um, you know, but the thing about this, Sharon, is that it's, you know, there's only so much when you're working for a company that you can do, but, but knowing that what little I could do would, would certainly help some of these guys, whether it was get them at a, on a modern drum festival or a, a, uh, you know, getting them a slot at the Montreal drum fest or, you know, getting them more exposure. So anyway, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'd, I would want my legacy to be that, that someone that, that really truly tried to help uh, promote drumming and drummers and, uh, and help people. And certainly you have done that in a humongous and humongous way. And we are grateful. Let me say thank you so very much for being on the Extraordinary Drummer Show. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Sorry, we had to rush along then. There's so much more here I want to talk about. You once said, no good deed goes unpunished. And I really want to get into that, but um, we might have to do it at a at another time. Would you help us wave goodbye to all the fans? Absolutely. I want to shout out to our friends, Stan and Jerry at Pro Drum Shop too, showing them some love. So hit them, hit them up for some advertising for this, Sharon. Absolutely. That's worth a couple hundred bucks anyway, right there. So all right. I actually had them, had them on the uh, show and it, it did well. Oh, uh, good, good. Again, thank you, my friend. Thank you, Sharon. I thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Pleasure's ours. Best to you. If you enjoyed it, give it a like. Even if you didn't enjoy it, give it a like. Tell your friends to give it a like. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. And remember, all my shows are available as podcasts at all the uh, podcast platforms. So until next time, I'll see you soon, live from my drum room. Thanks for watching. Peace.